0: I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we'll pick it up uh, from verse 15. So if you have your Bible, open it up. If you've got um, your phone or whatever, grab it. It's quite a long passage of Scripture. Um, If you do have a paper Bible, it's easier. But if you've got your phone, it works as well. Just as I'm reading it, I reckon for each person, there's going to be one key thought out of this passage that grabs your heart, right? And so it wouldn't be a good idea if God, the whole creator of the universe, let's say he's going to speak to you as we read this, it would be a really good idea just to highlight it. Uh, or write it down. Don't you reckon that's a good idea? Uh, And as I always say, a sharp pencil is, uh, sorry, a blunt pencil is better than a sharp mind. Uh, So write write down what God's saying as we go. Is that all right? Okay, I'm going to try and make my voice not so croaky by slowing down a little bit. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those whom He's called, His holy people who are His rich and his glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with His presence. You know, one of the, one of the things that's interesting, I reckon, about the modern world— is that there's a lot that goes on in our modern culture, in the Western culture particularly, that's not real. The best example of this is this phenomenon called reality TV, right? Because it's not, it's not real, like, it's like it's not real life, right? So here's the basis of reality TV. Let's create an artificial scenario, and put it on TV and we'll call it reality TV. It could, should just be called fake TV, except that's just what all TV is anyway, right? Uh, and if you think about reality TV, it's not good reality, it's not like, wow, that's a great reality, and it's not good TV. Like, it's not Batman, it's not Dragon Ball Z, it's not good TV. Uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just weird, and it's, it's sort of unnatural and bizarre, which is why people like it. Imagine real reality TV, you know? Here's someone vacuuming their house. Here's someone commuting to work on the motorway for an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know in Norway they do have reality TV. It's called slow TV. One of the one of the one of the highest rating stations at certain times of day is what they call fireplace TV. And you just turn it on and it's a fireplace. It's just a, just an open fire burning away so that you can have a bit of fireplace ambience in your house if you've got a nice a high resolution flat screen just put it down low somewhere in the corner of the room and you've got a nice little fireplace It's one of the highest rating shows in Norway uh you know uh that's actually better because at least it's sort of a well it's not even real either it's not even a real fire but the 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 reality is this that so much of what we think is real is not real at all even if you think about the the way uh, the modern approach to like economics global economics if you if you look at it closely enough it's all based on nothing the 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 dollar is worth this is is worth this many yen which is worth this many yen and it's all based on trading relationships that are constantly changing there's no fixed point of value other than what people think right which is actually not it's not reality it's someone's reality. And you know, I said this this morning, I said again, a big part of our journey in following Jesus. What are we doing following Jesus? We're following Jesus to become more and more like our invisible Savior, right? So that we can can live in heaven. That's what our following Jesus is about. But you know, the biggest challenge in following Jesus is actually learning how to live in the real world on earth. Did you know following Jesus is about paying your bills, Paying your taxes, getting your assignments done, bringing up kids, doing your job, paying the mortgage, serving in church. These are all real, normal things, right? How many of you know when you serve on the hosting team, you don't necessarily feel like you suddenly grew angel's wings, do you? You just feel like you wore a red T-shirt and red's not even my color, right? But it's real. You're talking to real people and you're welcoming them to church. And I think as Christians, we've got to embrace the real, do you know, the the jewish theologians missed jesus they didn't see him when he came they missed him completely so much so that they thought he was the devil he was the opposite of what they were looking for because they were looking for a magical mystical savior they were looking for a magic god to come in and magic away all of their problems. They were looking for a fairy godmother god to, to, to sprinkle magic dust on them and get them to the ball. That was what they were looking for. It's not much different to the theology of 1970s Christians in New Zealand who said things like, don't need to go to university. There's no point buying your own home because Jesus is coming back anyway. That's a fantasy theology. I want us to, as a Quippus Church, one said, I want us to build a real theology that says something like, this God's real. He's real, and He's in my life. And because He's in my life, He's in my family. Because He's in my life, God lives in my neighborhood. You know, Revelation in twenty-one in um in the Message Bible says that God came down and moved into the neighborhood. It's not it's John it's John one. God moved into the neighborhood when Jesus came. And do you know what? God's moved into your neighborhood. He lives in your house. He lives inside of you. Do you know i reckon the reality is that we've got to allow jesus a footprint in wellington as he lives in our heart amen now i think the most interesting and the most important part of this passage is really important for us to get is to understand that this is a prayer paul he hears two things he hears two things about the ephesian church number 1 he hears that they've got great faith and number 2 he hears that they have Love for other Christians, right? How many people know that those two things are miracles? Have you met many Christians? You haven't met enough Christians if you don't understand that loving Christians is a miracle, right? Loving other people is a miracle, isn't it? What's what's happened is Paul's heard that they've got faith, which means that God's in their life. And they love other Christians, which means that God's working in their life. So there's a foundation. I think about those two things. Faith and love for other people are a foundation like a helipad. They're like a landing platform for God to actually bring revelation into your life. if God's not working in your world, can I encourage you tonight to invite Him deeper into your life? Can I encourage you to set your alarm right now, get your phone out, set your alarm for half an hour earlier tomorrow, and for half an hour say, God, I want you to work in my world. And then write it down. God, I want you to work in my world. Then paint a picture about it. God, I want you to work in my world. Then walk around the block saying, God, I want you to work in my world. Be a part of my life. And do that until you realize, hey, faith is happening in my world. Hey, love is happening for other people. And then you've created in your life a place where God can land for real. For real. Not like I go to church and I sit in a chair and God's in the air about me. That's not real. That's not real. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, our Father in heaven, didn't he? But you know what the heaven means to Jewish people? It means the air that I breathe around me. Heaven's the atmosphere around me, the things I can't see but are just as real. The things that are invisible to me but are just as powerful as anything going on around me. Why did Paul pray this prayer? He's praying that their, their eyes would be, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they'd understand the future glories God got plans for them, that they would understand, uh, that they would understand the glorious power of God. Why is he praying that? I'll tell you why he's praying that, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long you make the epistle or how long I make the sermon, there are some things that are only grasped in prayer. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of things about following Jesus that I cannot explain to you. I can't tell you how to love God. I can't even tell you how to worship. I can't tell you how to honor God with your life. I can't tell you what God wants you to work on in your world. They're only grasped by prayer, by you praying, opening a space up in your life and allowing God to move, allowing God to work in your world, then you can grasp it. So this, this evening, I want to point at these things, but I'm praying that actually all I do is, I know that all I can hope to do is spark something in your heart where you begin to create space around it so God can work. Do you know God's got this glorious future for you? He's got a glorious future for you. God's got a glorious future for you. Right? And we've been telling Luca that for a few years, eh, Luca? But now you start to see it, right? Why? Because it doesn't matter how many times you tell it, it's not until someone sees it that it makes a difference. You know, I can tell you and tell you and tell you, but until you start to see the glorious future that God's got for you, it's not going to make much difference in your world. Uh, and when you start to see it, then how many people know then it's really going to make a difference? I, I, I can remember I, I told the story this morning. I won't tell it in great length, but... I've got a cousin who's like super unco, like super unco. I was trying to think of an example, but it would just make Alice feel awkward if we. Oh, sorry, Alice. No, the um. <laughs> no, my my cousin. He's like super awkward. Like literally, um, on three different occasions, we were, he fell out of a tree. Just fell out of a tree. Uh, and landed on a back on, on the fell out of a tree backwards and landed on his head. Boom. And that once was as a twelve-year-old, right? Uh, he's so awkward. When we were, he was playing cricket. How many people love cricket? Dangerous game, though. It's a dangerous game. Um, he got hit in the face by the cricket ball, and that happened to Jack. So it can happen to anyone, eh, Jack? Yeah, he got hit in the face by a cricket ball. But what happened to my cousin, he got hit right between the eyes. So broke his nose, two black eyes, right, which is pretty crazy. That could happen to everyone, except that it happened to my cousin when he was sitting in the batting line waiting to go on, right? <laughs> that can't happen to everyone. That can only happen to Thomas Greenwood, Right? He wanted to ride my motorbike because I was a bogan and I had a motorbike. And he wanted to ride it, and I explained to him how, you know, you pull the accelerator around, you let the clutch out, and then you've got to hold your weight forward. And anyway, But it didn't matter how, often, how long, I, if I was still explaining it now, his first ride of the motorbike was always going to go how it went. The bike was always going to come flying out from underneath him as he f- hammered the throttle, dropped the clutch in a hurry, and then panicked, which means when you panic on a motorbike, what you tend to do is jam the throttle on full. Right, So it was always going to, because I could explain to him about power, but until you experience power, you don't really know anything about it. And I, I, you have to listen to this morning's sermon, but the reality is God's got a f- powerful future for us, glorious future for us, and he has glorious power that's available for us. Why can you pass your university studies? Because God has power available for you. It's for you. Why is Tim going to be successful as an economist? Because God has power available to him. Why is Jono able to do his job in government? Because God's got power available to him. Why does anything we do at church make a difference in anybody's life? Because God's power is at work, right? Otherwise, it's all just words. The real thing that's happening when we gather in church is God's glorious future is being revealed to us. His power is being released to us. The the, the artificial, the, the imagination, imaginary things are the stage the sound system the seats the chairs the program that's all imaginary the the real things are the invisible things of what god's doing same in our city the real things are invisible who's mayor and who isn't mayor is irrelevant it's irrelevant it's not what it's not what controls our city it has influence but the thing that's controlling our city is what is god doing What's God doing in the city? What's God doing in Manila? What's God doing in Wellington? What's God doing in Berlin? What's God doing in Palmerston North? God's doing something in these great cities of the world. Come on, the horizons, new horizons. (laughs) Do you know, we were, um, I'm on to point three now, so everyone relax. I'm not still on the introduction. We were driving down the country yesterday from after Shout Conference and it's always good driving down, but we've found on Google Maps has opened up a new uh, a new road for us that we go on because Google Maps suggested it. And I would never have done it, but Google Maps suggested it. My grandfather used to swear by this road, right? Which usually means it's terrible because he's, he's they're like, uh, it's a really great road as long as you're prepared to drive it 100 miles an hour, which is how he used to operate, right? I know it's hard to believe, but I was driving down the street, and there's just no traffic on it. You go through to Kanu and then round the back, and then you don't come out to Cambridge, and there's like one town in the middle. So from from Tudungy to Cambridge, north of Cambridge, uh, there's just one town. It's awesome. So you just go crazy along there, 100, 100 101 kilometres an hour, uh, just along there. And so I was driving through there, and then we got to the desert road. And on the desert road, you can never speed. You can't even go 105, because there's always ch- police officers doing their thing, keeping everybody safe, right? And uh, it was so good, because these people passed us dangerously. And then one guy was clearly angry, because there was people doing 70 on the street. 70, and then they got to the passing lane, and they and the people that were doing 70 then sped up to 100, and so everyone got real angry and were racing past, and um, and this guy went past really fast, and then about three or four kilometers up the road, he was stopped really slow, now on the side of the road, getting a really big fine from the police officer. He was going fast; he would have got like a three hundred dollar fine, a big fine. Anyway, but um, here's the point though I was wanting to make. The policeman in his car, he doesn't need to be faster than you to pull you over. The policeman's car, the police cars are pretty powerful in New Zealand, but they don't need to be powerful. The policeman doesn't need to be faster than you, doesn't need to be powerful. The policeman doesn't need to be a better driver. The policeman doesn't need to be smarter or better looking. He doesn't need to have a better understanding of road safety than you even. He doesn't even need to have a better understanding of the law. What the pol- all the policeman needs to be is a policeman. Because of their relationship as a police officer to the New Zealand police force with the delegated authority of the New Zealand government, as long as they're wearing their uniform and they're in a funny looking car, when they wave their hand at you, you have to stop your car. In fact, the policeman might only weigh 75 kilograms, a small-sized policeman. A 75-kilogram policeman can actually stand in the middle of the road and stop a car. Now, that's not because the policeman's got power. That's because the policeman's in a position. The policeman's in a glorious position, which means that whatever power they have is multiplied beyond anything you can imagine. They can stand and say things based on what they think, how fast they say you were going. However fast the policeman says you are going, I've found, I've found that's how fast you were going. I've explained to policemen on a couple of occasions across my 20 years of driving history on the two occasions where I have made the mistake of going faster than is legally permitted by accident, down the hill tailwind. Obviously, all of those excuses are irrelevant. But it doesn't matter what you say to the policeman, the person in the position is the person who decides. They say, You're going too fast, it's against the rule, here's your ticket. You can choose not to pay it, but how many people know it's only going to get worse because the position you're fighting against a system that's much, much stronger than the individual in it, right? Do you know, here's the thing, though. Anybody else standing on the side of the road and waving is a hitchhiker or somewhat mentally disturbed. So they're either hitchhiking or they're just crazy or very, maybe they're very friendly and they're just waving at people. What makes the difference between a hitchhiker and a policeman is their relationship to the authority, the ultimate authority source. Now, the reality is Ephesians says that Jesus is in the glorious position. Ephesians 1 says Jesus has been raised from the dead. The power of God raises Jesus, and then it seats Him in heavenly places with Him, right? I'm going to jump ahead to the next sermon, which is obviously Ephesians chapter 2, because we're in Ephesians chapter 1 now. But in Ephesians chapter 2, 6, it says that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, but he, that God raised us up as well with Christ. For He raised us up from the dead along with Christ. Did you know this is in the Bible? And He seated us with Him, that's with Jesus, in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. When we become united with Christ, we're positioned in a glorious position. It's a position of authority, right? I want you to follow this. The policeman who gets dismissed or retires, there straight away, their relationship with the New Zealand police force, who has the delegated authority of the New Zealand government, as soon as that policeman is dismissed or retired, and sometimes, and in some cases of law, even if they're off duty, they are no longer able to stop traffic just by waving their hand. It's the same hand, it's the same person, but the authority is gone. The vice versa, the police, a normal person gets hired because of their connection with the ultimate authority source. They are in a position of power. I wonder, has the enemy robbed you of joy in your marriage? Peace in your workplace or health in your body? Why don't you wave him down and send him on his way? Has the enemy forced you in the corner, trapping you in your own insecurities or trapping you in your bad habits, trapping you in a negative emotional spiral? Come on, has the enemy ruined relationships in your family, <coughs> spoiled the welfare of people in your neighborhood or robbed the innocence of an entire generation? I think it's time as the church that we do something with the authority that we have in Christ. Something other than shouting into the atmosphere, actually making a difference with the authority that Christ has given us. Some friends of, some friends of ours, when, when I was like 16, I left school. And because um, I sort of finished everything they could teach me. And um, I went back later and uh, finished it. Uh, but I, uh, I, I, my parents said I could leave school for a bit like that, a couple of years off. And I, I joined a mission team traveling around New Zealand, doing these uh, sort of semi-long term, like six weeks at a time in a church, just supporting the work of a local church and mostly in small town New Zealand, sometimes in some city suburbs. And, um, and they, the, some friends of mine, the, the, a team went to a suburb in West Hamilton, right? So there's a lot of dangerous places in the world. there's a lot of difficult places in the world. One of them is the western suburbs of Hamilton, right and they went they were based in a suburb called Norton, um, and any suburb named after a motorbike is always going to be trouble, right <clears throat> and it was a, it's a really, really tough suburb and um, they didn't know what to do. the church was well, the church that they were with was, was not, hu- not not huge, not not tiny either, but um, the, they were wanting to have an influence on their community and so the team that went there would just pray and worship and they come up with this idea of what they would do is they would, they didn't have much else to do. So they thought, let's just walk around the boundary of the suburb and let's just pray, right? So let's just walk around and pray. And there was a local policeman who was part of the church and he told them a little bit about what was going on in the suburb. And they thought, oh, there's a lot going on in the suburb that's really negative, really dangerous. So what they would do is as they were walking around, when they got to like a big intersection, which in Hamilton would be a roundabout, they just prayed and they said, God, why don't you put angels here? God, would you put some angels here? Stop the drug dealers from coming in. Just stop them. Just turn their bikes around. Turn their cars around. Stop the burglars from coming in here. And then they, they just carried on doing this for, for like the first week. And, and funnily enough, they were there for six or seven weeks. And they just did this on a daily basis. They'd walk the suburb. They'd pray in different strategic locations, just as they felt the Holy Spirit lead them. They didn't have like a, there are some people have like a system for this. They didn't have a system. They're just walking around praying, right? And... um. The local paper, have, um, they had a map, that, you know, they had a crime map. They used to do this in New- all across New Zealand, the local paper would have a crime map. Um, and they would say how many crimes had been reported in different suburbs. And so the western suburbs of Hamilton had this local paper, and they had this crime map. And someone noticed it like on week two, and they said, oh, look, there's this crime map. Let's just see if our prayers are making a difference. So they started praying really specifically, and then they, they started looking at the statistics in the crime map. And then they would use the crime map and the burglaries or violent offences that reported, and they would focus their prayers around what had been reported the week before. And then they would restation their angels. Oh, we've got too many angels there. We'll put some more over here. Uh, And they just just prayed and prayed. And do you know, across seven weeks, Norton, the suburb Norton, went from the top of the list to the bottom of the list. In terms of reported crime, and it remained at the bottom of the list for reported crime in Hamilton's western suburbs for more than 12 months after the team left. Why is that? This is not, I know these people, they're not particularly devout. They're just sort of enthusiastic Christians like us. They're not deep spiritual warfare people, although they're into it now more than they were before they went to Norton, right? But what are they doing? All they're doing is exercising the authority that they have in Christ. When a policeman stops and stops, stands up and stops a car, he's not like, wow, he's just like, of course. Because of position. When you're in a place of position, a miracles happen, and you're like, wow, that's, that's, exactly right. that's what should have happened. That's what should be taking place. And I wonder what should be taking place in your world. What should be happening on your cul-de-sac? What should be happening in your own heart? What should, what's God's will? Why don't we start to declare it? Why don't we start to position some angels? Why don't we start making some things happen in our city? I think it's time for us to engage in prayer in a different way. We could wait for our mum to do it. We could wait for the man on the moon or we could actually take the authority that God's given us in Christ and speak to the situations that we are facing and with the authority that God's given us. Just nod your head if you know there's a situation right now that you can start speaking to. Just nod your head, there's some stuff you can start speaking to. You say, I'm going to start declaring the will of God. Do you know what you're going to have to do to start declaring the will of God? You're going to have to know the will of God. How do you know what the will of God is? Well, he wrote this really big book, right, for us to get a handle of it. When you read your Bible and stuff jumps out at you, often it's things God wants you to start praying into start declaring into. It's really important that we get a hold of this idea of position because God has given us this glorious position. He's raised up Christ above every principality and power, every rule and authority on the earth, above the earth, and below the earth. And He seated us with Him in heavenly places. When you get seated with God in heavenly places, it's not just because you're a nice person and God likes you hanging around. It is because of that, but it's not just because of that. It's also because God's calling you to exercise on his behalf, his authority in the earth. And I really believe that we can see that happening more and more. Amen? So, God's given us a glorious future. He's got a glorious plan. God's got a glorious power at work in us. And he's put us, put us in a glorious position. And the last thing is this that, that, um, that God's got glorious, God wants to reveal his glorious presence. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit has inspired. When you read the Bible, there's some really startling things in the Bible. Do you know there's a story in the Bible about King David? And uh, it's, my, it's the most staggering story in the Bible. And he wants to marry uh, 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 the king's daughter. Before he's king, David wants to marry the king's daughter. And the king says, Yeah, you can marry my daughter, but you have to collect a thousand foreskins from the enemy. That's in the Bible. You didn't even know it, right? Because you didn't realize it was hilarious. The Bible was hilarious. So David's like, yeah, whatever, and collects 2,000 foreskins and then delivers them to the king. Oh, just put yourself in that story. Oh, thank you very much. Who wants to be the king's assistant who gets to count the foreskins? Like there's worse jobs to do, but I can't think of them, right? Anyway, one of the startling things in the Bible that's also not rude uh, is this bit here where the Holy Spirit speaking and through the Apostle Paul... In Ephesians, right, and we've got to get hold of this, right? In, in Ephesians chapter one, verse twenty-two, says, "God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and has made Christ head over all things." So Christ is everything's under the authority of Christ, and Christ is the head over all things. Why has God put Christ as head over all things? Underline this for the benefit of the church. So why is Christ in charge? So that the church can benefit from His power and authority at work in the world, right? That's how it's supposed to work, right? Verse 23, and the church is His body. The church is made full and is made complete by Christ. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that's the pa- every pastor's favorite verse? It's not my job to make the church full. It's not my job to make you complete. It's not not even my job to disciple you, right? It's actually Christ himself who brings you to completion, who works in your world. It's my job to keep provoking you to reach out to Jesus. It's my job to keep pushing you to connect in this body, right? If you were a part of an actual physical body, all of your life, if you're say, let's say you're a toe, A little toe or a big toe, you can choose which one you want. Well, I'm pretty important. I'll be a big toe. If you're a big toe, it doesn't matter how awesome you are as a big toe. Jack, you could be the best big toe in the history of the world. As soon as you are disconnected from the body, you're no longer awesome. Like, you know, have you ever seen someone with really beautiful feet? I'm one of those people, who have, I have lovely feet. Uh, and, but as soon as, as soon as a toe is disconnected from the foot, the foot is disfigured. And the foot's like, oh, not so beautiful. I get some shoes for Jordan, right? But the foot still works okay. Not as well as it would if Jack hadn't been disconnected. But the toe that is disconnected is no longer anything. Once a toe is disconnected for any length of time, well I know this for a fact that my dad cut his thumb off with the circular floor and it was disconnected for a number of hours and they managed to put it back on. Then it didn't work, so they took it off again and they then took his toe and put it on his thumb and put the what was left of his thumb put it on his toe. Right, so you can things can move around, but I want to suggest to you to change this is Pastor Jordan talking and it's not because I'm insecure, but to change church is massively traumatic. My dad's thumb and his toe both still work. There's no, toe, there's no nail on the toe. And his, his toe thumb is not what it once was. Let me just say that. His thumb, his thumb, his toe, his toe. He can play the piano, but only in a honky-tonk style, right? The, now, here's the thing. When you change church, you can get reconnected in the grace of God. And sometimes it's a God thing, right? But always it's a disconnection, but if you're to disconnect your toe completely and say, "Well, I don't really need to be part of the church." Now you can do that and still attend church. So you can be sitting in your seat tonight and every other Sunday night, but you're not actually a toe anymore. You're just a smelly piece of rotting flesh, which is not a toe. And I think it's really important for us to understand that when we say, "Hey, let's go to it, why don't you join an E-group? What we don't want you to become is smelly. We're not like, hey, join an e group because that's what we do and we get bonus points in heaven if we get everyone into an e group. No, we don't. We just know that your life will work better if you're connected and it will work better the better you're connected. You're right. The, the stronger your connection to the body, the more life and health and power the body receives from you and you receive from the body. Amen. Everyone say amen. Okay, now the idea of the body of Christ though has this, is not really about you. It's not really about me, it's about Christ. We're the body of Christ. I think this is powerful, right? I don't I don't think there's a workplace in the city where Jesus isn't present. Physically present. I know that Jesus is present at Tim's workplace at the Productivity Commission. I know Jesus is present at Emma's workplace at the Hutt Valley DHB. I know that Jesus is present in Alice's workplace at the Good Time Music Academy. I know that, that Jesus is physically present and able to do miracles of healing, able to bring the Word of Heaven, able to, to set people free and release people at Catalyst IT, I know that for a fact. I don't think there's a workplace in the city where Jesus isn't physically present and able to work. Greater works now than he did when he was in one body. He's now in his metaphysical body throughout our city. There's not a single high school where Jesus is not present. And probably there's not a single high school classroom where Jesus is not present. There's not a single high school staff room where Jesus is not present. Probably across our city, there almost every school, every high school, every primary school, probably the senior management team has got Jesus on it somewhere. I, th- I think in parliament, Jesus is sitting in some of the seats. He's sitting on the left. He's sitting on the right. He's sitting in the center. Because I don't think Jesus cares too much about who he's relating with. He likes to hang out with publicans and sinners. That would be the left. Right? But here's the reality. Jesus is present. He lives in your neighborhood. He lives at your address. He sleeps on your bed. He's in you. You are Him in the earth. Not, not really you, we are. You yourself is you, but we become the body of Christ as we connect together in community, right? Oh, don't you reckon that's amazing? Do you know, it's not just nice that you got the job you did. It's glorious. It's part of God's glorious plan for salvation. It's not just nice that, you, that the offer you made for your, the house you live in was accepted. It's glorious. It's God's plan for that neighbourhood. It's not lucky that you got into second year at university. It's God's glorious plan. right? His grace filled His power plan for salvation while you're there. When you get up tomorrow morning and read Ephesians 1, which I pray you do, uh, and pray like heaven. Praying is you won't have a better day because you understand that God has positioned you and He is present in you. You will have a glorious day, right? Can I, I'll just read this to you from the message. It says this: When I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and I'd give thanks. But I did more than thank. I also asked. I asked that God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning so that you would know Him personally. Your eyes would be focused and clear and so that you could see exactly what He's calling you to do. So you could grasp the immensity of His glorious, of this glorious way of life that He has for His followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work for us who trust Him. It's endless energy, it's boundless strength. All of this energy issues from Christ. God raised Him from death and set Him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from His rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the centre of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church though is Christ's body and in the church he speaks and acts and by the church he fills everything everywhere with His presence. I just think it's for, I just think for real. Is that for real? God, is this for real your plan? This is really God's plan. Jesus went back to heaven and He sent the Holy Spirit into you and He said, this is better than if I stay here. Right? This is really God's plan. I'm not a small mess of a human floating on this this vacant tide. I'm not drifting in and drifting out, good day and bad day and this job or that job. I'm part of God's glorious plan. I am the physical representation of Jesus as I connect in the body of Christ. I can make Him known in my world simply by being who He called me to be. I'm chosen of God. I'm filled with His power. I'm positioned by Him to minister His love and power and His presence to the world around me. Do you know, um, Three years ago, Byron started uh, that initiative, hashtag, by the gate. We actually have to get back by the gate. We actually have to. We actually have to get back in position. We've got to pray like we're kings or queens, right? We've got to start to get real about prayer, about the position God's put us, about the power that He's called us to wield, about His glorious future for us. We've got to start to get real about it and stop living this airy-fairy life that's just about paying off a mortgage and doing a good job. That's, that's all imaginary. Your house, the house you buy, the mortgage you pay off, the, it's, built, it's built to a standard in New Zealand to last for 50 years. That's what they build them for. My house is a Beasley home. I'm just praying it lasts for 50 years. Right? Why would we put all of our eternal energy, all of our eternal energy, into a house that might last 50 years physically, the building of it? The dirt that your house is built on doesn't last as long as God's plan for your life. The mountains that make up New Zealand, come on, it all just washed out of the sea one day, it can all just wash back again. Sometimes I wonder whether Maui's fish is actually dead or might swim off one day. Come on, the reality is this whole thing is temporary, but you're not, you're eternal. Before He created the heavens and the world, He loved you and He chose you. He called you to be holy and blameless in His sight. He called you. His plan has always been to adopt you as His children, as His very own possession and inheritance. That's always been what His plan was. That's always been what He's doing. Can I why you close your eyes and bow your heads? First of all, I want to pray for people who are here tonight. If you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Saviour, I just, I, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. If you're not ready to do that, that's fine. But maybe you are, so I'm going to give the opportunity, and, and, and we're going to pray in just a second. If you're here and you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Savior, you've never taken the opportunity to make Him your Lord and say, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus the boss of my world. I really am. I'm going to f- focus on making Him the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow Him with my life. If, if that's you in a moment, we'll pray. You can ask God to forgive you of your shortcomings of the mistakes that you've made, but but most importantly, you can choose to make Him the Lord of your life. So while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, and it's just me really looking around, if you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus, while everyone else has got their heads bowed, eyes closed, just put your hand up and give me a wave and say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to make Him the boss of my life. I'm going to choose to follow Him from now and forever. Just shoot your hand up if that's you. I haven't seen anybody's hand yet. So if you're wanting to make this decision tonight, just make it really clear for me and then we'll pray in just a second. Awesome. I still haven't seen anybody's hand, so that's all right. That's awesome. If you if you ever want to talk about this, the whole thing of following Jesus, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. My main job is to actually help you understand what God's call is on your life. I'm actually available during the week to talk with people about where you're at, what does Jesus mean, what does it look like to follow Jesus and we can do that pretty much any time that works for you. Cool. Just while you're sitting there, I wonder if you've ever thought of yourself as glorious. Not one day you'll be glorious but right now you're, you're glorious. God's working His glory in you. The Bible says that when God speaks to us, He transforms us From glory to glory, which means that wherever you are right now, it's glory. God's done some work in your world. But I know, and I know you know too, that there's so much more God's got for us. And it's on this platform of faith, this platform of love, that God wants to land this revelation of His power, of His presence, of His plan, of the position that He's placed us in. First of all, I want to do, I want to pray for people. And this morning, you, this tonight, just as I was talking, you felt the call of heaven come into your heart. And you know, actually, no, God's called me to stand up. And I was talking about that suburb Norton, and you felt God say, yep, you're called to stand up in prayer, just like that team did in that suburb. If that's you, why don't you stand up right now where you're standing? And I want to pray for you.